You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Onyx Maps. Now, if you haven't had the opportunity to get Onyx Maps on your phone, you need to get Onyx Maps on your phone, and I'm going to tell you why. Number one, I am the kind of guy who likes to know where I'm at at all times, and I like to do a lot of running and gunning. So there's times where access is very important for me, knowing where I was at, knowing how to get to a specific location, especially in the dark of morning or night, getting in and getting out. And the best part for me is that I have GPS on my phone and Onyx allows you to leave basically breadcrumbs uh, and leave a trail or your access routes on your phone, save those access routes, and then use your GPS going in and out of your tree stand locations every single day. And it's awesome because you won't get lost in the dark. And I use that so much, that little portion in itself, so much throughout the season that uh, it's probably the most useful function of that app. Now, you can also leave waypoints like where your trail cameras are at, where your tree stands are at, where you see scrapes and rubs or marking trailheads or campsites. This is the perfect app for a do-it-yourself hunter. I mean, really for all hunters, because it allows you to journal your properties that you hunt, right? And uh, the more information you have, the more successful you will be on a yearly basis because you keep gathering data and gathering data and gathering data. And soon you'll see trends in that data and those trends will lead you to hunting more efficiently and becoming more successful, in my opinion. So go to Onyx or wherever you download your apps, pick up Onyx, and you can use the discount code NATION20, N-A-T-I-O-N 20, and save 20% off for first-time users. Onyx Maps. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. All right, guys, welcome back to another Land and Legacy podcast. I'm your host, Matt Dye, and we've got something pretty cool in the works for this week, guys. We've got some more just proof and evidence to throw at you from some client success here in the great state of Missouri. Guys, I think, uh, you know, what better way, as, as Adam and I talk every single week about all these different practices and recommendations and habitats, restoration 
um, improvement, all these different things, all these different techniques that we cover. What better way to just prove their value than discuss some of the history and the development of the properties that we've worked in the past. And so as we're coming into December right here, this is the third full year of Land Legacy. So a lot of the guys and girls who have been a part of um, the journey with us have had several years of implementing these techniques, applying them to the property, watching regeneration happen, watching transformations happen, and woof, there you go. Here's some awesome hunting in return. And just a short amount of time when you really think about owning a piece of land and making changes to it, you know, there's there's some things that we cover that right they take they take years to develop or or you know, it takes years to develop that age structure, have that influence on on a herd, but sometimes in the right areas and by doing the right practices and being effective at them you can see some awesome changes relatively quick. And so a couple weeks ago, Adam talked with several folks from across the country, and I talked with um, a client from Kentucky, the central portion of Kentucky, who was doing just some, some fantastic stuff, making these big changes, these big transformations. And um, today is no different. We're talking to a gentleman out of south-central Missouri. So again, pretty close to us. Um, habitat is just slightly different, but um, than than what you guys would probably hear us talk about at the Prairie Hollow property. Just just some slight changes, but those changes make a difference. And um, so some of the practices that he has done, him and his his uh, I believe his dad or, or father-in-law um, have done on the property are just incredible. The response from the habitat um, is incredible, and their success on this relatively small-ish farm and in odd shape too it's it's not one of those one that just perfectly lays it's 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 just a very applicable property to what it is that a lot of people probably face and so this is proof this is encouragement um and this doesn't happen overnight or without some determination and and rolling up the sleeves and, and getting busy and getting some work done so Guys, I hope you enjoy this week's podcast as we're talking with Ryan Hesse from Dallas County, Missouri. All right, Ryan, are you there? I am here. Man, I appreciate your time this evening. It is, uh, it's still November. I know you've, uh, you've already got a buck tag filled, but you could be doing a lot of other things, but you decided to join me on the podcast tonight, so appreciate your time. Absolutely. Well... This podcast, after a text from you last week, I've been really looking forward to, honestly, having this discussion, recording it, and sharing it with everyone, because some of the success that you guys are experiencing on your property, it, you you just can't make up. You, 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 <laughs> you want to have these awesome experiences, and you want to do meaningful work on properties um, and, and then yield the results and, and you were guys are doing it to a T and and truthfully from what it sounds like and we haven't even gotten through all the examples that that you guys can share but what it sounds like is the wildlife are just responding to a T 
and you guys are experiencing just, I don't want to say dream hunts, but just fulfilling hunts, let's say. Is that right? Absolutely. Um, and to, for lack of a better term, I would say it's almost shocking. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I mean, we, we've had some of those uh, moments where we're just going, I, I don't, you know, we haven't even worked through the whole plan that we discussed with you guys and sure. we're just going how can it even you know get better than than it is <laughs> but we're gonna keep we're gonna keep doing it because yeah. we know you know um it, we're not gonna stand still that's for sure that's right that's right man that, that's so cool so um we'll, we'll start with kind of a, a brief little overview of of the property and um i guess we we worked with you um in February of 2018, so it's been been almost two years since we were there, um, the day of the consultation, and you guys have been pretty busy since then, um, and we're looking at roughly 147 acres property, south central, central Missouri, correct? That is correct, yes, yes. Awesome, and so how, how long have you guys owned that property? Uh, this was our sixth year of hunting it, so... Okay. Um, yeah, six year and uh, in year two of uh, kind of doing the uh, native restoration process. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So four years with with no just let's say general work besides hanging some tree stands and getting out there and hunting. What were those years like, and what ultimately made you guys decide, hey, you know, I feel like we can make this better. Just don't really know how to. What was that deciding factor for you guys? Uh, I think the, one of the biggest determining factors was how spotty, I guess you could say the Mm -hmm. hunting was, um, you know, it was, you could literally, and and we took, uh, you know, a couple of good bucks on the pro off the property in the, in the four years prior, but you didn't know from November 1st to November 2nd, 3rd, 4th or 5th. And in that prime time period, what was going to happen, where the deer were going to be going, which stand to sit. And you, obviously you, you know, use the wind to your best advantage. But sure. other than that, the predictability and, uh, was just, uh, non-existent. So, so pretty, it was like, let's say a roll of the dice. It's like, I'm going to, I'm going to hunt here. Cause I know the wind's good there, but beyond that, you know, it could happen or, or it may not just, let's say just. Absolutely. Okay. Um, absolutely and in your guys the shape of the farm is pretty unique it, it's rather long <laughs> and narrow from yes. from top to bottom and so access really you guys have one point of access one point of entry and so how did that let's say in those four year that time frame wh- wh- what kind of impact did that have for you guys as far as impact, I would say we didn't know necessarily the impact we were having. We mm-hmm. just knew that this is how we access the farm. Um, and we just, uh, we'll, we'll go, we'll take, you know, our buggy and we'll park it right here and mm-hmm. we'll just walk, walk from there and hope for the best at that point. <laughs> sure. Sure. And so, but you know, you guys knew it was relatively, it was kind of a limiting factor or it played a role into, you know, the success that you guys would have, but just didn't know necessarily what other options there were to be able to improve it. Right. And I think we would say um, our best stands were obviously the stands that were furthest from the access at that point for four years. So we would, you know, walk, you, you know, access through the middle and walk, 
you know, to the edges. And now, even though we access via a, a low road kind of going through the middle of the property, mm-hmm. with the changes that have been made, you wouldn't know the difference at all as far as uh, that we were accessing through the middle because the heart of the property now is where the action is at. Awesome. Awesome. So like I said, you, you can't you can't change the access, but you can change how the wildlife then use the property by impacting different areas and then allowing you guys to be able to move around it, knowing that, you know, there's a good chance, let's say the bulk of the deer are going to be in that portion. If my wind's here, I can scoot around them and, and not have that impact. Whereas before, if it was that just random movement and random bedding because all of the timber looked the same, and there was just, you know, no points of greater cover, it was completely random. You you might bump them one day, you might not, but you knew at some point you're going to be bumping them. 100%, yes. I mean, you you didn't know where where you were going to bump deer. You, you knew you'd probably bump deer somewhere, mm-hmm. but now we know, okay, morning hunt, we're going to hit these stands because we know where the deer are coming from. Evening hunt, we're going to you know, J hook around them or get around them, get the wind to our favor mm-hmm. because we know where they're spending their time from, you know, sure. 11 a.m. on until they come out at, you know, 334. Absolutely. Awesome. So, okay. You guys had, had some success prior to, um, the consultation, everything, but now from just, let's just talk prior to getting into what you guys actually did just wildlife sightings what has what has changed what have you guys experienced let's talk you know um deer numbers or mature buck sightings versus Mm -hmm. turkey numbers or poult um successful brood rearing of poult Mm -hmm. turkeys and and any other critters you're seeing yeah um we'll start with turkeys uh i think the big thing this year and i know i talked to you earlier this year that we want to do was uh, really start getting into the edge feathering one for the, you know, uh, guiding deer to try to use, you know, in certain areas, but also mm-hmm. to create that better habitat for, you know, the brood, you know, the brooding and yep. uh, for the poults and Turkey really, in fact, this, uh, this deer season, I would say in the last four weeks, I've seen as many Turkey on the property as I did during the fall, during that time period, probably the prior four or five years. Wow. Wow. That's, that's crazy. (laughs) It it was, it was shocking. I mean, there was one, I did an all day sit one day Mm -hmm. and the middle of the day, I start hearing things. And the next thing I know, I just see black dots start walking towards me and they just, they're, they're everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. That's about the only time I think in the, in the month or early portion of November that you kind of wish November away and, and hope that it's actually, uh, late April in Missouri. (laughs) Oh man, that's what I was thinking about. That's exactly what I was thinking about was going, I cannot wait now for a a warm morning, uh, some goblin. Yeah, absolutely. Good. So turkey numbers are doing good. You're seeing Mm -hmm. birds. We're seeing birds there. Uh, as far as deer numbers go, it's honestly, I mean, just stronger than it's ever been. Wow. You know, uh, it's it's very impressive. Like I said, it's shocking um, to see, you know, I you don't want to take for granted how well things are doing. Mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. I mean, um, mature buck sightings, I can tell you in the four 
years prior to starting any work, we would say if we see one or two good mature bucks, not, and that's not including getting a shot opportunity. Sure. Right. But it's just the fact if we see that you're that's laying eyeballs. Good, yes. That's yeah. been a good season, you know, right. um, just because that's, you know, we're in the middle of cattle country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I <laughs> you mean, know, and that's the thing, uh, you know, when we talked about, you know, where you're located, South Central Missouri, and and there's good deer around. Don't get me wrong. Like there's there's strong strong deer that get thrown out every single year, and just about every county, it happens, and it can happen more so than what it does. But this portion of Missouri is not the sought after, famed, the thing that everyone dreams about. We are in cattle country, and that's it. absolutely, absolutely, and. You know, and I think that a lot of people, uh, and I hate to say this, I'm, I'm sure use that as an excuse. Oh yeah. Well, that's the truth. It's, it, it really is. And, and, you know, I don't, I don't see from, from our experience, um, when, when done right, I don't see that cattle country, let's say being a, a huge limiting factor. Um, there's ways to, to manage around that, um, and benefit wildlife, benefit cattle, and the right appropriate forages for both. You, it can be done, but it just it takes a change of, of mindset and and uh, sometimes holding back on that that trigger. Because <laughs> absolutely, a lot of Ab- a lot of what we don't have is is, is the age structure because mm-hmm. people see a good three year old and and think, wow, that that deer is that deer something, and and rather than saying maybe and maybe when it hits four. If I've got the right groceries or a different nutrition here on my property, it's going to do something better. It just right. It's just a little little bit different mindset. So the mature bucks, um, let's say per square mile, is different from other portions of Missouri. Absolutely, and you know, it one of the unique things that I got to experience this year, and I I obviously didn't get to put a tag on him, and I mm-hmm. say yeah, but it may be next year. But we had a very uh, a four and a half, five and a half year old deer. Um, yep. You know, uh, we we had his core area down to around 15 acres oh, wow. um, early early part of November, and we were on the outside of it, and we were trying to just pick and chase it him that way. Yep. And we we had him at you know my dad had him at 60 yards one evening, mm-hmm. um, you know during archery season at the towards the end of archery season before firearm season here in Missouri. Yep. And then I honestly the next morning I we had a stand set up and I said I I'm, I'm going to go in for I'm going to go in for him. Sure. You know this is this is the time. Mm-hmm. And by golly I had him at 34 yards and he was just in some thick brush oh, and that's yeah. perfectly fine. That's what you want. And I yeah. watched him and I watched him walk away. And that was the that was just as fun as harvesting the buck that i did this year yeah (laughs) it's just because one i got to watch him for 10 or 15 minutes and he didn't know i was there yeah exactly and then you know and and then to say he he's living on our farm (laughs) you know he's spending a time on our farm how crazy is that right and and i think that um you and you can probably speak on this probably pretty pretty clearly but um seeing the difference between quality habitat and then what that does for not only consistency in deer movement, but also just 
concentrating deer movement around those areas. So that 15-ish acre area that he was using very consistently, um, there's probably other deer that you've seen. Maybe you're not looking at them as as um, critically uh, as this deer because there may not be a hit list or whatever. But when you have these pockets of quality habitat, it really does shrink that down. Is Are you seeing that on, on your property as well with, with other deer besides just the, this buck? Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, the, uh, the buck that I harvested that, uh, obviously you've seen pictures mm-hmm. of, I have, we have him on a scrape. I don't know how many pictures, uh, from end of October till, you know, November 10th or November 15th, whenever it was, uh, the yeah. last time I pulled cards, but he, he was within 200 yards of that scrape where I harvested 150. Wow. I mean, just again, kind of that core area, it shrinks it down um, where they they know it, they feel comfortable, and they know where the does are, the does feel comfortable. It's, it's very interesting to see how the deer respond and the fact that, you know, and, and again, we are still a work in progress on yes. this, yeah. but the, the work we've made, their response to it has been immediate right right and and that's that's kind of a it's an eye-opening thing but it's also one of those things that's like i know i'm not done but i can't wait to kind of get closer to that finish line because if i'm already seeing this what is it going to be just you know three more years give me three more years that chainsaw or that drip torch or that herbicide addressing this issue and and i i can't wait i can't can't imagine it um right so I think I think you've mentioned in the past that um, uh, spotting of quail on the place as well. Yes, uh, there was none. <laughs> um, <laughs> there was none, and I earlier this year, uh, my dad and I, and and just as a testament here, my dad had LASIK earlier this year, yep. so we didn't get to spend as much time as we wanted to in the woods cutting timber, right, but we. Right when we had the opportunity to, we did. Mm -hmm. And so it was not near as much as it was last year. So again, you got to, if you can spend one or two days, it's going to make a difference. Yeah. It really really will. It it really is. But when we were doing that, we were taking a break and I told him, you know, one of my goals, you know, is to see this farm, uh, even though it's a holina, you know, around 150 acres, I would mm-hmm. love to see a covey of quail on it. Yep. You know, we've just never had that. I said, that would be cool because we would know that what it would just be one of those, uh, experiences where you're like, Hey, we are, we're making a difference here. And, and honest to goodness that we didn't even know, I didn't even know if they were around, you know, sure. uh, if they were within a two or five mile radius, I had no clue. And goodness gracious, sure enough, uh, during deer season about stepped on them and it just shocked me and it just (laughs) i my my dad and i were actually going to stands taking the same path and he was with me and we both looked at each other and we're like was that really what we thought it was (laughs) (laughs) i can just imagine you know as soon as that bird flushes your arms just go up and they just stay up like yes oh the champion just a little a couple chest pounds like i did it (laughs) oh man i i was grinning ear to ear because i thought i did not think within this kind of time frame we would ever see it you know when when we first started this journey when with you guys having you out i thought okay three to five years is really when we're going to start seeing things and and i was 
for me, that was great. I've got yeah, uh, yeah. a girl. She's a little girl who's turned six years old this year. I've got twin boys that turn three next month. And that to me was a big picture. I'm like, I want this farm to be in a good position where mm-hmm. when they, when we take them hunting, they, they'll see two or three, four or five deer. All right. Right. You know, that's, you know, when we take them turkey hunting, they'll, they'll hear some gobbling. They'll see a gobbler. <laughs> You yeah. know, and so that for me was a big picture goal. And uh, right now we're just going, this is uh, the kids are going to go nuts when they're in a blind. <laughs> You're going to spoil them, man. <laughs> no, I, I hope so. Every, yeah. every, every parent wants to spoil their kids. That's, uh, that's right. That's right. So, man, that's just wild. Um, so that that's just wildlife sightings and some some interaction to um the, the, the improvements that you guys made. So I guess let's, let's kind of talk about some of the improvements that you have made, but also something that you have not yet even done on the property. I think that this will kind of shock some people as we, as we get talking about it. Um, mm-hmm. So one of the things that, that we've addressed, I guess, and first, before we, before we get into that, kind of paint the picture of timbered acres versus the amount of open acres on the property, that kind of ratio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we've got uh, 25 acres that uh, was uh, old. It used to be hay. Yep. Um, so it's open, and there's a couple tree lines that break it up into three different, uh, I say, three different fields. Mm-hmm. And so we've got a 13-acre field. We've got a uh, uh, about an 8-acre field and then a 4-acre field. Okay. So you got a couple fields and, and, and a, let's say, a larger complex, and then the rest is – um, timbered and, and some, you know, relatively young timber, but then you, you go up, you cross a Creek and get into some older timber. And then you've got some that is kind of a glady like, um, post Oak mixture, uh, on a, on the Southern portion of the property, but correct. Quite a bit of timber, right? We're, we're talking a lot of timber. Yes. Yeah. Lots of it. Lots of timber. So naturally, that's what a lot of the the plan is going to be addressing is okay here's this massive resource and the property consists largely of timber so let's address that so from uh from the consultation day till now what are some of the things that you guys have done and implemented on the property i think and now this goes back to probably last year when you guys were doing the would you rathers i posed yep. the do the question, you know, uh, would you rather remove cedar, eastern red cedar, mm-hmm. eradicate fescue, and a third option, you know, just giving you guys a three, a third option. Yep. And both responses were eradicate fescue. Yeah. And I thought, by golly, it's, I think at that time when I sent that, it was, you know, we had you out two weeks prior. So it was still February. I was like, I can't spray fescue now, but I know this is a high priority. So sure. from February until the end of March, because if I remember right, we were wet in March and we could yes. not get anyone to spray. Yes. And then April came and the in Missouri, we had the. And we had MFA. a rough winter too that year. Yeah. That was a rough yes. winter. Late winter was rough. It was very cold. Um, we had precipitation, and so naturally, uh, even though it was a cool season grass, that that yearly difference was fluctuating. Um, and and normally, you could spray fescue here in our area um, pretty much any time in March, any time the maybe minus the first week of March, the last three weeks, you can spray and be really effective. But this that year, when you guys were looking at it, it wasn't until April. 
because Absolutely. of just the, the late winter. And and sometimes just a just a not to get away from, it, but sometimes that's just the cycles and the and the the changes in season. Sometimes you have to be able to adjust to make these necessary changes. Or you can make these these general recommendations. Say it's going to be roughly this time, but this was one of those years where hey, we we had to kind of adjust on the fly. And, and address it when that cool season was actually going to be photosynthesizing and take that herbicide in to be able to kill mm-hmm. it and do an effective job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and I, I, I think I even sent you a text because it was middle of April, and I mm-hmm. think I said something to the effect they, they can get out at the end of April, your thoughts, and you said something like, you know, get get it done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, it what we did then from February until April, we worked on the bedding thickets, but then the minute we could have uh, people in there, we sprayed all 25 acres Boom. and it nuked it that first year. I was shocked. Um, yeah. and I'm not going to lie this next spring, we're planning on one more spring mm-hmm. because we could see a little bit coming up, oh, yeah. but yep. man, the, the amount of native warm season grasses that were just, the seeds were just sitting dormant underneath the, the fescue. Uh, when it all popped, in fact, when, when it was probably the second week of May mm-hmm. or maybe third or fourth week of May, there's always that thought, did I do the right thing? <laughs> yeah, you're like, I went, I went full bore. Like I left yes, no area yes. untouched. Was 25 this acres here <laughs> that we just absolutely scorched yeah. and, it's looking a little uh, deserty it's, here. I mean, it's brown. <laughs> it's brown. You, that's exactly right. Yeah. You, and you do. You wonder, is it was this the right thing? Um, and I'm telling you, the response within eight weeks of that, you know, because we would come back and check on it, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I enjoy trail cameras, so I, I would put the trail cameras up and you know, yeah. follow follow along, deer. But through the next eight or twelve weeks. I was, you know, you start seeing stuff pop up and sure. that now, now all of a sudden you're in summertime and you're like, Hmm, is that fescue? Is it, you know, cause I'm not, I'm not a biologist yeah, by any right, means. Right. So, but then it starts growing and you're like, that's not fescue. What, you know, what is it? And then you start mm-hmm. looking, you're like, Wait goodness gracious, there's blue stem everywhere. <laughs> yeah. You know, so a little, a little bit of, let's say, backstory and history on these fields and and this is what let's say and to put everyone's let's uh thoughts in in adam in my minds when we made the recommendation is these acres had been hayed and and it was a local guy i think a neighbor um who was doing the the haying for you guys is that right that is correct yes and, and it was pretty much a a deal where hey you come in clean these fields off for us don't let them get too brushy um, take the hay, it's yours, but you're just going to help us out by, by clearing the fields. Is that right? That was a previous yeah. agreement? Essentially, yes. And okay. that was just carried on from the previous landowner because the previous landowner right. said, oh, neighbor X, he, he just hays it and, you know, he watches the property. Right. Okay. And, you know, so it was kind of like when we bought it, it was, okay, let's not upset the apple cart immediately yeah. here. Yeah. You know, but again, we at the same time, we're like, well, we don't have tractors. We don't have the equipment to hay it. So mm-hmm. for it's mutually beneficial at this point in time. Sure. So... So through that process, this neighbor who was doing the haying and the baling, um, 
it was a very kind of, uh, let's just say secondary um, of importance for him because we could tell that a lot of times um, bales were left in the field late or it was, <laughs> it was hayed way past prime for, mm-hmm. for fescue. Um, and, and when you do that, generally speaking in, in our neck of the woods, when you have these really late um, initial first cuttings, and there is a decent seed bank of warm season grasses, you will start to see the warm season start to poke through and start mm-hmm. to see little little um, you know little blue stem trying to struggle through or little pockets of Indian grass. And I remember being in that 13 acre field and seeing, wow, there there's a there's a big old clump of Indian grass over there and one over there, and it it was not dominant at all, but it was still there. And then around the very edges of the field too, it was man, there's there's a big, there's big blue, there's Indian, there's mm-hmm. little blue over there. So we could tell that underneath of this carpet here, there's something more, there's something better. Mm-hmm. And most likely, even if you get a heavy forb component and not that grass component, you're still way, way, way better off. So regardless, mm-hmm. we're spraying it out and that's what led to the decision. But from what you're telling me and explaining to me is it came back really good oh my goodness uh better than again you you just don't know at least for me i'm not experienced so it's like i just don't know and when we did it 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 it's unbelievable too because we try to keep a lane around all the field edges and Mm -hmm. i will say mode for trails for access it makes it easy for us obviously the deer love it too but when you're walking right next to it and i'm not a tall guy you know i'm five foot six five foot seven but it's taller than you right and then you see trails going into it you know because it's you know five and a half six foot tall or taller you're just Mm -hmm. going this is unbelievable (laughs) you know this is just this is just truly crazy right you know you know so it uh, yeah it, it it's shocking to me how much was in the seed bank honestly sure sure and i think that you know as, as we've talked through text stuff there's there's additional follow up stuff that we may we may alter and change and throw into mm-hmm. the mix now is because you know that grass component is is so very good from a cover standpoint but oh man we can we can have that cover component but then add some forbs by going in and doing some dormant season disking so um, you know, we're talking about mopping up a little bit of the fescues, some of the green spots in it, but then this year potentially doing a little bit of light disking through some of these areas and having incredible forb growth come back and all those 25 acres offer the awesome food and cover now. And it's like, right. it just, it just keeps getting better, man. Right. And that was when you suggested the uh, dormant season disking, that was just uh, obviously not a light bulb for me, but it was when you said it because it's like I was concerned that the grass was actually getting too thick. Uh-huh. And then, you you know, and because who who would think and who would complain about having too thick of warm season grasses? But here, yeah. when, when you start thinking about these things for all the wildlife, you're just going, especially when I was like, you know, you see a quail and you're just like, I, I, I got to protect this thing. How can right. I protect this thing? Yeah, sure. You know? Sure. And, and and then all the the additional um I guess attraction from from the insect life or um, the attraction to the forbs and then that being supportive of of uh, turkey poults during the growing season and it just the list goes on and on and on when 
it's a simple a, a light disking but you're again you're not removing the the value of cover in the area because what you share with me through november is those areas were hot lightning hot for doe activity and then therefore buck activity as well in these openings because now there's cover whereas before during the fall it was just a, basically a single hay cutting um but again, it was it was maybe a foot tall, and so they were just wide open fields prior. But now you're hunting yes. these areas with cover. So how how has that changed um, your guys's kind of let's say hunting approach, and then what you guys are seeing now that we've got substantial cover? Yes, you know um, we've got for every win we've got a stand where the the you know deer are creatures of edge that's you you learn that when you start deer hunting and so you're like okay where's the edge and you really focus on that um we've got a stand set up on on, around all of our fields for every win and goodness gracious uh, again when you see that thick and that tall of the the native grasses you still in the back of your mind at least for me you're still going well, maybe they just aren't going to use that, you know, because, you know, it's just, it's just grass. Is it really cover, you know? Yep. And then all of a sudden, um, come November, at least on on our property, when, when the does felt pestered by these bucks, especially these young bucks, uh, you know, that first part of November, you would, there was multiple times. In fact, I, I harvested a doe, uh, late October off, off a stand, um, that my brother actually harvested two deer off of, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I harvested the doe and then you, you get out and you, you go to, you know, find it and take care of everything. And all of a sudden you start kicking up other does in the middle right. of the field that you had no clue were there. Right. Right. And it's, and, and even my brother, when he, he harvested those deer, we went and we found his, uh, buck that he shot and, goodness gracious as we're walking up to it a doe pops up and just takes off running and you're just going i had no clue that deer was here sure but but then you know and and you see these bucks you know wind checking the field you know they're getting the wind to their advantage and they're checking that whole field and you're like you can help you can put yourself in a better position from a hunting standpoint by knowing okay the wind's blowing this way i've got a tree line here that i can set up a stand in and he's going to cruise this tree line because he can cover 13 acres right here because he knows they're in here. Does, he he may not know exactly where they're at, but he knows they're in here somewhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't have to see them to then know that they're in there. He's going to smell them, stick his nose in there, and then pursue if he, if he wants to or if he needs to. But he is going to scent check that area because it has that cover. And, 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 uh, it's, I'm, and that's I'm exactly back loving it. Keep going. Oh, I was going to say, and that's exactly, uh, you know, my, my brother, he, he doesn't get to hunt much a year, maybe three days a year, four yep. days a year. So we always try to say, Nate, you know, you, uh, you, you do what makes you happy and we're going to enjoy it. But man, the, the buck that he shot, it, it followed the script to the T on the scent fact that it was scent checking this field and it, he locked on to, you know, the does that were out in the field. And here he comes walking right out, and where he walked right out was obviously right under my brother. Perfect, perfect, awesome. So real quick, so to, to you said you guys um, sprayed the twenty five acres. If you don't mind sharing, what did that 
cost. And and you had a local co-op, I believe, do that spraying, mm-hmm. um, just a general 5% application of glyphosate um, to treat the fescue. Um, do you mind sharing what that ended up costing you all? Not a problem at all. Hey, for the 25 acres, it cost us $500, and it was the best $500 on the farm we've spent in two years. Wow. Wow. And uh, we, we shared pre-show and made the joke. is like, that's the cost of one of the shoulder mounts right there. That's insane. From, from the deer you harvested. I mean. Yeah, absolutely. And and when when we got the price back, it was, just, again, we kind of were like, holy cow, especially now on the back side. Uh, the, you know, again, it's hindsight's twenty twenty, mm-hmm. And you're looking back and you're going, that was with all the stuff we could have done. You know, you could have paid someone to put in a flu food plot you could have you know you know done all this stuff and it's like we've made a long-term impact that's going to last for years for minimal cost in the grand scheme of things huge huge impact and now the only thing that you you left to do which is super easy because you've got road systems around each field is it's just burn it and Mm -hmm. burning it's pretty much free if you can do it yourself you feel comfortable um and so you've, you've completely changed that, that 25 acres for $500, completely changed it for, for years and years and years to come. Um, so that, that's, and, and, and if you go in there and you disc some, yeah, you might, you might have uh, a tractor to rent if you don't have one, but that's again, very minimal cost. And you do that. Um, maybe, you, maybe you're just rotating to do a third each year. Um, mm-hmm. but that's again, a very minimal cost for producing, you know, let's say 2000 pounds of, of food an acre after that, you know, it, it's just incredible right, right. to have such minimal cost of managing the native plants and the communities that are naturally there versus trying to supplement and um, create the, the, let's say food plots, let's just say. Um, Absolutely. And, and, you know, I think I mentioned it to you, and I hope I didn't mention it earlier, but the, the neighbor to the south of us, they, for cattle, they put, you know, 15 acres in corn during the summer, and uh-huh. they use that for silage, and then they cover crop it with a winter wheat or a winter oat, you know, yep. so they're doing the right thing there, but I was able to visually watch from my stand deer that would not cross the fence because they were more interested in the natives and the woody brows that we had on our property when they could have jumped the fence and gone literally 15 yards into a 15 acre winter wheat or winter oat field. Wow. And they just didn't, they just didn't. And, and it shocked me too, how much usage draw that, that, that the natives provide these deer. It's almost like, they know they're missing them and they want them in their diet. So they're going to find them. Sure. Sure. That's incredible. Just to, just to, you know, visually observe that much forage uh, when, you know, like I said, just across the way um, there, there's what a lot of people would want to be hunting over and choose to hunt over versus that native forage there that you guys have been promoting on the property. Wow. Yeah. So <laughs> when it comes to, um, the timber and everything you guys have gone in and cut quite a few bedding areas or bedding thickets um, across the property and um, I think that you personally have had success the past two years um, hunting and harvesting deer kind of describe those scenarios and, and what you guys have done I, I think by now hopefully everyone kind of knows that you know those are 
roughly little mini clear cuts in the timber. Mm-hmm. You know, if there is productive oaks um, or mass producing trees, probably going to be opting to leave those. But largely, you know, we're talking 80% canopy open to get the, the brambles, the, the woody browse, those types right. of forages back in those areas that also produce the cover. So talk a little bit about some of the hunting strategy that you've you've deployed there and some of the success. Right. I would first I would start with saying this, you know, before we had you guys out, you know, I had tried to do some reading again as a a fairly new property owner. You start reading about timber stand improvement, what it is. So you get this idea in your head. But let me tell you, and it's an overwhelming feeling saying, you mean you want me to cut down trees um, (laughs) that are going to take years to grow back? And so I know there's people that are probably listening going, doing in the same boat that I I was in saying, you just don't have that confidence. So number one, when you guys came out and you said, this is a great area, this is a great area, just fire up, you know, flush cut and you start going through it, you're just like – it gives you a confidence that you did not have. And I think that is essential in all of that is being able to say, you know, putting trust in, in that and giving you the confidence to do that. So that to me is number one. Yep. Uh, Number two, the way we laid it out, you know, we've got uh, a handful of these bedding thickets, um, you know, throughout the property or more than a handful but uh, we we debated, do we stick to one, you know, this year, uh, you know, and then, you know, one ne- or one or two this year and then do one or two next year? Or do we evenly distribute it, you know, and spend an hour on this one today, an hour on that one today, an hour on that one today and an hour on that one today? You know, we put four or five hours in and we work on four or five hours. And then when we come back, we'll do the same thing. And that's the route we did. We spread it out rather than saying, you know, and I'm not saying that's right or wrong. That's what we did. And so far it's worked well for us because just the amount, uh, the small amount of change we've made in the grand scheme of things, because we're still working on it, you know, it, the reaction to what we've done was felt immediately. I mean, it's just absolutely immediately. And so from that standpoint, you know, now, now we're at a point where we're two years in where we spent probably a full day working on each one of them, Mm -hmm, you know? mm -hmm. And so when you've got six or eight of those, you know, in, you're just like, man, we, we've cut a lot of trees down. Sure, (laughs) sure. It's it's looking good. On average, how big do you think most of those areas that you guys have accomplished, you know, with that time, I guess, running two saws in there? We had a really high stem count of junky trees, just absolutely junky trees. Um, And so we were few and far between on the big mass producing trees, but we kept those because we're like, they're beautiful and that's Mm going to be a producer. So I would say, you know, we, goodness gracious, I would, uh, we probably would uh, spend an hour and this is not breaking our back again we're not we want to enjoy this uh, and so you know an hour maybe two hours per acre acre and a half two acres you know and like i said you know i'm you know 37 years old my dad's uh in his early 60s so we're not working you know like this is our job by any means but we we do want to get work done and and like i said when you're cutting a lot of the no value honestly there's no value to that timber yeah yeah 
it, you, you have a lot of that. Oh, and yeah. You, you have to remove it. That's it. <laughs> and honest to goodness, uh, and to get to the hunting strategy side of things, for the last two years, I've killed, uh, I've harvested two bucks that downwind side of the bedding area where they were coming into it. Um, you know, it's just been, it's been predictable. And I would, uh, I know you guys have mentioned it multiple times, but if I never do or see another hinge cut again, I'll be happy. <laughs> I've, 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 I've observed too many deer, you know, and we don't have a, hardly any hinge cuts and I will, yep. you know, but we did do some and mm-hmm, ne- mm-hmm. looking back on it now, I'm like, I might just go back and flush cut those things because honestly, they don't do, they don't serve any purpose yeah. for what I'm seeing compared when I'm looking over this acre, acre and a half area that's been TSI'd and I've got these hinge cuts and I can watch the deer and how they're moving and how they're responding in their element. It's like, I personally just don't see any reason for it. Sure. Sure. Well, that's, that's a good observation. I I agree. <laughs> I, I, it, you know, it, yeah. and I know that's the, the fad and obviously that's everywhere. And again, when I first started, when we first became landowners and you start reading and goodness gracious, hinge cuts are yeah, sure, you'll, everywhere you'll on that. the air. Yeah. You're going to find that. And so you, in your head, you're like, okay, this is the way to go. Right. But, you know, I, I just would, uh, you know, for the purpose, the, the best purpose we found for it on our property has been the edge feathering to steer yes. the deer and yes. to provide, you know, a, almost a wall mm-hmm. per se. And then to allow that sunlight to get behind there, to really widen that edge, to steer the deer and, you know, Perfect. to provide a, provide a different edge versus a hot, you know, that hard edge of timber to field. Preach. I'm over here saying preach. Amen, brother. You're going to host the next podcast. I don't need to say anything. I love it. No, I mean, well, it, it's when you when you have the ability to observe the stuff and and just watch deer react to it, it just makes a lot of sense. It just It's just that further confirmation of it's not necessary, so I'm not, I'm not oh, going to spend man. my time doing that. But in these instances where I'm trying to steer deer, then you start seeing them navigating around these treetops and coming out 20 – 25 yards from the stand you're like okay i okay here's here's yep. where it's applicable yep and you know it, and i guess why i get so excited about it is obviously seeing is believing and i yeah. didn't think i would see it to this extent but sure. man it's like i you know i i i hope other people are able to experience what we've experienced and it's just like man gee, listen to matt and adam they know what they're talking about guys <laughs> well no i think i think you're doing uh an awesome job of relaying okay hey we, we hear the elements that we've been working on here's what we've been seeing and how here's how we've been able to be successful with it too and here's the response from the vegetation here's the response from the wildlife and, and it's just it is clear as day and, and it does it gets me excited honestly ryan just to just to hear you talk about it because you're you're able to experience and share that passion of being out there working in the woods making an impact, seeing the wildlife um, respond in a very beneficial way, and then translating that into the success and sharing these hunts and memories and making an an impact, leaving a legacy with this property that you're going to be able to share with your children. That full circle is what it is absolutely all about. Oh, man. And, it you know, it is, uh, it's, 
really neat to see in my own life the the view that I have like when I'm in the stand not just the physical view but also saying okay right there I need to improve that area there's some trees that I missed I need to take mm-hmm. those down and you're constantly thinking about that and it uh it gets you excited and yeah. I love deer season I love hunting you know from October 25th to November 25th it's like that's that's prime time oh, man, but then sick. I I'm also like can December, January, February, get here fast enough. I'm so excited to get the chainsaw fired up here. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's why I love, like, I love deer season, but I also love land management season, if you will, because it's just, because once you experience it and once you see and observe what is happening out there, you know, you're a hundred percent confident in yourself that I'm doing something that's going to make a difference. And it makes that work so rewarding even though you're it's going to be 10 months before you mm-hmm. see that benefit from a from a stand you might see it in trail camera or you see it when you come back in spring green up or whatever but you know without a shadow of a doubt that what you're going to do is going to provide you and or family additional opportunity Right. And, you know, it's so rewarding for me right now, but I'm looking at the future, like I said, with, uh, you know, young kids that here in the next few years, uh, right now, you know, we, we introduce them to walking through the woods. We, we mm-hmm. live on a small, we call it funny farm and we have a walk through the woods, but getting them into the hunting and to see them, the reward is going to be so much more fulfilling and just saying it, when they are able to experience what I'm experiencing. Yes, Absolutely. And I, we, we have to cover this point. And, and someone's probably sitting back thinking, you know what? I haven't heard him mention this yet. And it's for a reason. I'm glad you stayed on the podcast this long because please, Ryan, tell me, how many acres of food plots have you guys planted on a 147-acre property? Zero. <laughs> and And I guess I should reiterate that that is – there are recommendations for yes, there food are. plots. However, <laughs> priority and the way you guys have decided to move forward and make the impacts and changes on the property is I haven't yet done there, gotten there. I haven't yet done that or put my energy into food plots. There is literally no food plots on this 147 acres and the deer hunting from what you have told me and the proof from harvest photos is incredible. And you are consistently seeing and, and, and honestly foreshadowing what deer are going to do despite uh, not having that food plot there that so many people rely on for patterning right. purposes. Right. And I think, you know, you hit the nail on the head. You just said so many people rely on it, but also food plots can to, again, for someone getting into it, they can also be intimidating as well. Sure. So then you're like, okay, what's not intimidating? Well, eradicating fescue, that's not intimidating. Right. Firing up the chainsaw, putting on your safety equipment. That's not intimidating. I can handle both of those things, you know, and I, you know, I, I can put in a few hours doing that. And when you do that and you start seeing the results of that, I hate to say it in the back of my mind, I wonder, do I really, yeah, food plots one day would be cool, you know, to hunt over because they're beautiful and, you know, 
but man, is it necessary? Yeah. <laughs> and I, you know, the, the, you start debating that in your head. And at the end of the day, yes, I'd love to do food plots, but I feel like, and even our discussions with you guys, our time right now is better spent doing work in the timber, making sure that fescue is gone, really yeah. trying to get it back to, you know, how God created it. Yep. And that, makes a world it, it it makes an absolute world of difference yeah i mean it, it's it really is night and day and what i what i'm really excited for you guys is to begin implementing prescribed fire now into these systems now now that yes. you have gone and mechanically changed or or altered these open fields or altered the the timbered units on this this property now that you're experiencing that regeneration and, and seeing these diverse forages and forbs come back, now it's about time to start looking at it and saying, Wow, how do I make how do I how do I make that better? How do I keep it mm-hmm. because we're experiencing such good stuff, how do I keep it in this state? And that's where the fire's gonna come through and really just probably blow your mind a little bit more <laughs> when that when that is into the system of the property because um, I know we shared the the numbers there on the podcast before, but when you have young forest regenerating per acre, and let's say you've got six or eight of those from the bedding thickets, you you've got a thousand pounds of forage per acre in those units. When you introduce fire into those, you're not only <laughs> regenerating that young forest, but you're also um, adding more more forb components into it. You're getting up to fifteen hundred pounds of forage in those in those acres so imagine that distributed back out across the property and then and then you're you're addressing um the the warm season grass fields and adding forbs from disking and then you're burning on top of that it just gets so much better and then you still haven't even done a food plot (laughs) right and and the and the wildlife knows it and they respond to it they do they 100 percent do it's, uh, I know I, I've even, I know I've texted you and I've been talking to my dad and I'm just like, like I said, we're, we're ready for the fire. Cause we're like, yeah. okay, when deer season's done, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah it's time to get, you know, we, we have the holidays with Christmas, but then it's like, all right, we're back at it and what's, we get to enjoy, enjoy the property in a very unique way. Certainly, certainly. So my, my question to you is 147 acres. We're, we're about two years into this thing. Did you think that you would be able to experience these these changes that you've experienced thus far on the property? No. No, especially not in this time period. Right. Um, you know, I, I knew, and that was the thing. When we had you guys out, I knew in my heart after reading and doing my research, I'm, I'm kind of one of those people. I'm a, I'm a nerd. I like to read a lot. Me too. I'm like, okay, I, I know this can get better, and I know in my head what needs to be done. But how does this go about? Again, I'm I'm not a biologist. I, that's not what I've studied. Yeah. I, you know, so I need assistance. I'm sure. not going to be stubborn enough to say I don't need assistance here. Right. And that's where you guys know how to do that. So when you came in, it was like I know what you're talking about. So that's a good foundation. Mm-hmm. And you guys were just this is how it has to. You know, you go this is how it gets done, and then you start doing that, and you're just like I said, the short amount of time it takes wildlife to respond especially when you're the, uh, for lack of a better term, island (laughs) compared to uh, other properties around you. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and we've got what's unique too is we've got on each side of a well across the road from us there's 300 acres that doesn't get hunted yeah you know yeah. behind us you know a quarter mile there's you know 200 acres that does that we're not aware of that gets hunted mm-hmm. you know and that's great for us but it's still incredible to see that even the second weekend of firearm season I, you you have 15 does walk right under your stand right it's just, just, just calm just doing Um, what you would expect them to do it's shocking because three years ago before we started this the second weekend of firearm season we would have considered it a good weekend if we would have saw three to five deer on it wow wow that's huge and and, and absolutely that 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 is a testament to the work that you guys have done the habitat that you've created um but then also uh, with that habitat in conjunction with the access is now that you're able to know where the deer are and where they're mm-hmm. not and be able to get to these places and hunt them and hunt the, the 147 acres more effectively. So that's just, that's just incredible. I, I'm sitting back. I'm, I'm blown away um, from, from your guys' experiences thus, thus far. Like, and I, and I'm, I've, I've done this. Like I, I know that is what is going to happen, but it, it, it it's quick and, and, and mm-hmm. it is, it is, it's powerful. So I appreciate you sharing um, these experiences thus far with everyone. So with, with that being said, what is, what is your encouragement or your charge to everyone listening um, who, who's maybe nervous to get started and doing some of this stuff? What would you say to them? Uh, first off, I would say it doesn't matter if you have 10 acres or a thousand acres, you can make it better. And I promise you, if you've got 10, 20, 30, 40 acres, I can tell you our 147 acres feels drastically bigger Mm. now that we've started this and we hunt, it hunts so much bigger than I ever imagined. Wow. So, you know, that to me is, is don't, don't think just because I have, you know, this amount of land. In fact, the house that my wife and I live, we're, we're on 10 acres here yeah. and there's a back section that's woods. This here in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to fire up the chainsaw and start cutting trees down, you know, to open it up just for the wildlife for my kids it. to watch, I love it. you know? Yeah. So, you know, from that standpoint, you doesn't, you know, they don't let the size of the property matter, um, mm-hmm. to you. It, you can make a huge, huge difference. And, and two, again, it, if you're like me, you can research it and you can know it in your head, but you need someone with the experience, which is where you guys are. So this is what you guys do. You've seen it on tens of thousands of acres on how to do it. And it builds confidence. You know, it's built confidence in me to say, you know, it, it, and I'm spraying what 25 I'm doing, acres today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what I'm doing is yeah. making a difference. If someone asks me, you know, what do you think I should do? I'm going to say spray that 25 acres yeah. of fescue. Get rid of it. It's going to change your world from a yeah. wildlife standpoint. Absolutely. Man, I love it. I love it. This this has been a fun podcast, man. I can't wait for to look at it in, in two more years and just and come back and, and hear the success. Hopefully the kids will be involved um, mm-hmm. in, in the hunts at that point and just to hear um, more of the updates. But, man, it's just it's it's awesome to know that uh, 
the habitat, the landscape is responding in the way that um, we hoped and probably even better. And um, that's just that's just encouraging and, and good to hear. So, man, appreciate your time. Appreciate you sharing this um, the story. And um, it's, I, I, I hope for everyone who was listening that it was encouraging to know that when you go out and you do this stuff, it's not it's not in vain. It's it, it works. <laughs> You know, it's not it's not just a waste of time or or uh, a, a hope and a prayer. And the, the stuff produces results, and it's and it's real. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, well, no, man, thank absolutely. thank you so much. No, we we appreciate it, uh, and like I said, it's uh, we we want everyone else on board right now too. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Um, well, Ryan, thank you, thank you again for your time. We will uh, we'll have to catch up here soon. Sounds good, Matt. Talk to you later, bud. All right, we'll see ya. Bye. I don't know about you guys, but I thoroughly enjoyed that discussion with Ryan. Those experiences, they're they're pretty powerful stuff, but the important thing is to note that they happen and, and it's not random and, and it's important to learn from those and, and I hope that's exactly what you guys did. But um, I think Adam and I are going to be almost out of job here with the, hosting the podcast because Ryan just just killed it. He just nailed all the points that, that needed to be driven home from, again, here's, here's what we were dealing with before, here's what we changed, here's how we changed it. Here's what we experience now, and here's the success. That is the full story. Um, and, and so, Ryan, thank you again for your time, man. It was just, it was, it was awesome. I loved it. So, guys, I'd love to hear your your thoughts on that podcast. Um, you know, 147 acres. How applicable is that to to so many places across the the Whitetails Range? Whether you're in Georgia, or Tennessee, Ohio, New York, um, Iowa, Arkansas, this stuff. Um, you can you can be successful on there. You're seeing, I think it was four different mature bucks. Um, in no, it wasn't four. It was more than that. He he texted me about. I can't remember the exact number, but it was definitely more than that. In in, in this this four week span of October 25th to to the uh, 25th or so in November, just just sighting after sighting and and solid number of of does and it's just it's incredible. It's incredible to 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 know that. Hey, when I go out there, um, I spend a couple hours running that chainsaw. I'm I'm creating habitat and I'm making that impact. And what a way to do it with um, with his dad there in the picture, um, just tackling it together, working it as a family. Have plans to to bring the kids out there in the next few years. I just I love everything about that story. So appreciate you guys listening and following along. Again, let us know your thoughts when you see this pop up on social media. Be sure to be following us there on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. If you have any questions about uh, what it is we do, please let us know. Info at LandonLegacy.tv and um, we'll get you guys uh, answered up with those questions or, or consulting inquiries. We've got some awesome, awesome stuff coming too. Um, some new services that we will be offering here um, in in December and 2020 and beyond. So you guys are gonna want to check out those podcasts and uh, share those with with buddies and friends who can also have that same type of success that Ryan and his family are having on their property. So thank you guys so much again for listening. Um, look forward to next week and the, what the rest of the hunting season has. We, we're getting into uh, December, which is 
also known as December in a lot of people's um, minds. So um, we're getting a, a big shift towards food. And that doesn't have to be food plots, as Ryan discussed. That can be native brows, woody brows, specifically as we're getting here into December and later into the season. So um, you don't have to be overstanding corn or standing soybeans to be successful. Knowing what whitetails want and getting out there and putting yourself in position will result in field tags. So have fun out there. Be safe. Again, reach out. Let us know if you have any questions. Thank you again for listening. We'll catch you next week. Yeah.